Episode of the Bowfinger Minute Podcast. Each week, Movies by Minute hosts examine the 1999 Frank Oz directed comedy Bowfinger one minute of screen time per episode. Today, we'll be talking about minute number 24. I'm one of your hosts today, Rob from Movie Rob, and I am joined by. My name's Alan Sanders. Been with you all week. Me and Rob been having a great time. You can find my podcast, The Wilder Ride, where we do the exact same thing. And Rob and I have had. Many chances to be uh, to talk together as I've been a multiple guest and it's been so much fun being here this week. Yes, I'd have fun too. So minute 24 begins with Bobby trying to explain how much every movie costs and (laughs) ends with Bobby and Akeem trying to act professionally. So yesterday we ended things with basically yesterday's minute, the entire minute was Bobby Bowfinger trying to explain to Dave his plan and where he's got the money to pay for this plan. And at the same time, he also is trying to convince Dave that, you know, all you need is the money that he's got. And Mm -hmm. this minute begins with him saying every movie costs (laughs) $2,184. And that's it. I want to carry on the lit, the, if we didn't break in the middle of the line that he was delivering, because I think he even makes a mistake on the word, but the, he may have had so many attempts to try to say it or maybe like the fact that he didn't even say the word correctly. Because yesterday he started trying to tell us that you don't need millions of dollars because that's after gross net deduction profit percentage deferment 10 per – and he continues – percent of the nut. Yes. He doesn't say net. 10% of the nut. Then he goes, Cash? Every movie costs two thousand one hundred and eighty-four dollars. Correct. Now, I personally think that he does mean to say the nut. I think he's talking about that—that that, you know, that like the nut is the entire amount that you need to use for it. I think and, that's and what... that true. It just sounded weird because I had heard net and then nut a few seconds later, and I was like, did he mean to say nut, or did he mean to say net twice but said nut? <laughs> right. I, I I think he was. I think he was supposed to say nut. I mean, I, I, I didn't look at the script, so I couldn't tell you. You know, Jim Jim is probably listening to this right now and saying, but in the script, it says, <laughs> who knows? So, Jim, well, I've heard sorry. Phrase, and, yeah. and I don't know if that's a popular phrase where you are, but where it's like, well, get to the nut of the story, like the central part of it. Or, you know, every blind squirrel finds a nut, you know, a reward or something. But Correct. I've never heard somebody say, well, it's 10% of the nut. 
But I, I, I think I've heard someone say like part of the nut and stuff like that. You know, that, that, that's what I think. That's where I think this comes from. It, it could be. You know, it's not the whole nut, just 10% of it. Exactly. Or, uh, you know, there's a percentage of the nut <laughs> because of, you know, deferment and profit. Now, what's funny is he mentions percentage twice because he goes percentage, deferment, and then 10% of the nut. So. Right. I don't know. <laughs> maybe maybe nut is like a movie term. It's, it's, what, it's what made me think he meant to say net. But you can argue, as we are right now, it kind of still works. Uh, a little bit, yeah. I've never – you know, maybe I should have looked that up. Have you ever heard of percentage of the nut? I mean I, I tried looking that up, and I didn't find I anything when I, was, when I was doing that, percentage of the nut. You know, I just I, – I was dealing with percentage. I didn't even go with uh, percentage of the nut because there's a thing called uh, 10% law that, that talks about uh, mm -hmm. energy and stuff like that, so – it doesn't really fit in with, with movies. All right, so I can confirm that that's the actual line from the script because when I Googled percent of the nut, I'm getting references to this particular line in the movie where it's written out 10% of the nut and referencing both. Okay, there. but the question is, is that part of the script or is that part of the subtitles? I don't know. It's uh, people referencing it on different places, including one was IMDB. So right. I've just never heard that expression, not used this way. And, and it's entirely possible it's an inside Hollywood thing. I don't know. But I, it stood out to my ear because I was waiting for him <laughs> to say net again because he said percentage twice. I'm like, oh, net percentage. It was like, no, right. percent of the nut. <laughs> now, it also makes for a nice double entendre because nut is a euphemism for somebody who's crazy or insane, and so is this particular Correct. plan. Well, it, it's crazy and insane, but he just about gets away with it, so – well, we don't know that we're not at the end of the movie yet. No, of course not. But uh, we're assuming that most people who've seen this, who you know, most people who are listening to us are actually, you know, they've they've seen the whole. Could movie be. Before. It could have been. It's been so long. They remember. You know, I would say that someone is in general a nut if they're listening to movies by minute podcast and haven't been listening to, you know, and haven't seen the movie. No, but I, and I think we were both talking on each other. I have done this before. I have gone to listen to the podcast on a movie that I've seen. But it may have been 20 years ago, and I don't remember everything about it. And there's like, wait, was in that movie? Wait a minute. Right, okay. And then it makes me want to go back and rewatch the movie. Right. Okay, that's fair. So, I mean, that that's pretty much what we get at the beginning of this this minute. Just, you know, the, that last line from from uh, Bobby Bowfinger. And then we get a shot of a, a Greyhound mm -hmm. bus. And we are at a bus terminal. And I looked it up, and this bus terminal is located at... 11239 Magnolia in North Hollywood, California. This is such a Frank Oz constructed shot. I love everything about the, the, the tropes of Hollywood. You've got people going on a Hollywood celebrity tour bus in the foreground. They're paying to go find celebrity yes. homes. And as the camera, you know, kind of crane shots up across the busy street, you see a Greyhound bus station and a Greyhound bus pulling in, and you know our central focus is going straight to that bus. And just like every story of every ingenue who thinks that I'm an actress, they're taking the bus to Hollywood. That's right. <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, it really is. They, they do that really well. So, first of all, what do you know about Greyhound buses? I have never been on one. I know my brother has, and he said he will never do it again. 
<laughs> okay, do you know when the company first was started? No. Okay, so it was started in, the, the first route began in 1914 in Hibbing, Minnesota. And they, they changed the name to Greyhound in 1929. Okay. Okay, there's a, a man named Eric Wickman, who was a 27-year-old Swedish immigrant who lost his job. And then he decided that what he was going to start doing was driving people back and forth, you know, to driving the miners back and forth to two miles that they needed, you know, in order to get to, to, to the mine. And he would charge 15 cents a ride. And the, the first day he made uh, $2.25, which to us doesn't sound like very much. But back mm -hmm. in 1914, that probably was a little bit, you know, a little bit better. You know. The, the the company when it expanded in 1928 it had an income of more than six million dollars so if you want to talk about the other the opposite end of that you know so if we're saying two two dollars and 25 cents is nothing uh from our standards but then it was a lot think about how much six million dollars was in mm -hmm. 1928 well, you said it was two dollars and 45 cents two dollars and 25 cents and it was in what year 19... 1914. Oh, so how much is that worth uh, today? If you if you go by inflation, uh, two dollars and twenty five cents, starting in twenty four, uh, that would be worth sixty six dollars and seventy eight cents today. So you made basically sixty okay. sixty seven dollars just one day shuttling people back and forth, and then it was worth how That's much? Right. Six That's million by when? Six million in nineteen twenty eight. Hold on, let me put that in. That would convert to today's dollars. Holy crap. One hundred and four million dollars. Wow. One hundred and four million dollars. Wow. After twelve Almost years. 104, I'll just round it up. One hundred and four million one hundred and forty thousand dollars today. Not bad in a short wow. period of time. Yeah, seriously. Holy mother. <laughs> Yeah, seriously. Graham made some cash in the day. <laughs> I'm, I'm, well, I, I, I don't know if the guy was married at the time or not, but when he came home that day, he was probably very happy that he made, you know, the, the two dollars and twenty five cents. Mm -hmm. You know, especially since he was unemployed before that. So that's a sixty seven dollar uh, jump just in one day. That's that's pretty good. So the largest crash in Greyhound history was actually the very first deadly crash that they ever had in 1952 on August 4th. Okay. Two Greyhound buses uh, had a head on collision near Waco, Texas, and the fuel tanks of both buses ruptured and uh, basically blew up both buses. There were 56 people on board uh, on both, both buses mm. total and 28 of them were killed, including both drivers. So I guess nobody really knows what uh, wow, what happened. There. That's horrifying. Yeah, it really is. And then one of the other things that happened there, I, I didn't even remember this. Did you know that three weeks after 9-11, there was a Greyhound bus attack on October 3rd, 2001, where a passenger assaulted the driver trying to slit his throat. And the, the bus ended up crashing Tennessee and it killed the the, the terrorist and five five passengers. Wow. And they ended up suspending uh, all schedules of Greyhound because they were they were uh, they they were concerned that just like on 9/11 that there were multiple attacks that were supposed to be happening at the mm. same time. 
You know, I'm sure it was I, talked I about in the that. day, but because of the comparison to everything else that time frame, I don't remember it off the top of my head. But I, I it's got to. I'm sure it was in the news, but obviously since it wasn't something that proliferated into other buses, but that is amazing to bring up factually that that was part of just that 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 fear that had gripped everyone right after 9/11. Yeah, seriously. That's just that's just crazy. So what do you think was the do you, do you know what the first movie was that used the Greyhound bus? And I will give you a hint, it is a best picture winner. Ooh. It happened one night? Yes, it is. Very good. Oh my god. <laughs> I just guessed. <laughs> well, come on, you knew that it was it was in the, the late 20s early 30s, you know, and uh and riding on buses is very prominent from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but still, I think the hint was Academy Award. That helped. Right. Okay. There, there are tons of other movies that have that have used it. Some of the more famous ones, you have Breakfast at Tiffany's, Midnight Cowboy, Harry and Tonto with Art Carney. Did you ever see that one? That was a, that was a fun movie. He, nope. He won Best Actor for that movie. Um, Cocktail with Tom Cruise. Um, Sleeping with the Enemy. Uh, Boys on the Side, uh, Eddie Murphy's Life, uh, Tomorrowland with uh, George Clooney. Mm-hmm. The most recent one was Chippendale Rescue Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, was really, really good. Uh, I, I, would, I haven't had time to see it yet. If you were a fan of Roger Rabbit, who framed Roger Rabbit, you know, um, putting that uh, cartoon world mixed in with the um, the real, real world, world as if they're real cartoons living among real people – um, I think that was the next nice iteration because of the jokes they were playing, all the different intellectual properties for all these other cartoon characters. You have a lot of has-beens. We're all working the convention circuit, selling their pictures. It was it was really, really good. Oh, wow. All right. I, I, I will take your recommendation on it. And, and I'm assuming by the time this comes out, people will see that I've done a review of it. <laughs> okay. I will tell you right now, I went in with not necessarily high. In fact, it was probably – middling expectation but it was because of our very own jim o'kane who tweeted about how much he enjoyed watching it i was like well if jim enjoyed it i'm going to give this a go and i went to disney plus and watched it and i was like this was really good i had a good time all right well i i will definitely be going there and one of the other things i found is really really strange do you know how many songs have been made about greyhound or that have that have a uh, you know the the Greyhound bus in the lyrics or whatever. I, I was I was shocked. I, obviously, it's got to be a lot by just the way you said that. Yeah. Um. And I mean, I just mentioned a few of them. We have uh, Chuck Berry in his song "Promised Land" talks about it that he rides a Greyhound from Norfolk to Birmingham. Uh, mm-hmm. You have a famous Simon and Garfunkel song that talks about it. America. Uh, Credence Clearwater Revival, their song Lodi, they talk about that. Mm-hmm. The Allman Brothers song Ramblin' Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, the song Once Bitten, Twice Shy by Ian Hunter. It says, you didn't know what rock and roll was until you met a drummer on a Greyhound bus. Right. That was remade as a cover by Great White in the 80s. Okay. I, I, it was I a didn't big, know that. All the, right. I mean, I've heard the song. No, I've heard the song once bitten twice, twice shy. I didn't realize that it was that the one I probably have heard is the remake. You know, that's what. Yeah. um, I'm a big big Billy Joel fan, so you have New York State of Mind. Mm -hmm. You know, taking a gray house on the Hudson River line. Uh, John Denver has one. 
in his song uh, Wildflowers in a Mason Jar. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just unbelievable how many there are here in this list. This We've list, got, this list has at least out 20, if not, uh, if not 30 different ones. And the, the, the last one that I'll mention, actually, there's two more that I want to mention. Uh, Michael Jackson in his song Hollywood Tonight has the, the lyric Westbound Greyhound. And then uh, the soundtrack for, for La La Land, the song Another Day of the Sun, contains the lyric, I left him at a Greyhound station west of Santa Fe. Well, we got to get to one of my favorites, only because I used to host with a guy that was a little bit older, and he just loved it when he was talking about uh, when a woman's leaving you. There's the Roy Clark classic. The actual title of the song is Thank God and Greyhound, because of the lyrics after she's leaving him. He's like, well, thank God and Greyhound, you're gone. <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't even see that here on this list. Yep. What's Roy Clark. Roy Clark. R-O-Y-C-L-A-R-K. Roy Clark. Banjo player was on the show Hee Haw. Uh, country singer, country western style singer. Thank God and Greyhound is the name of the song. Oh, wow. Okay. It's it's not even on this list, which is really funny. It came out in 1995. It's not exactly uh, old. Yeah, okay. But the, apparently there, there there are other songs that are not on this list that, that should be. <laughs> Okay. And for those of you out there listening to this that, that enjoy the Jack Reacher books, so Jack Reacher in almost every single book gets on a Greyhound bus. It's supposedly mentioned that way. Yeah, I think the rebooted series, not the um, not the Tom Cruise movies, but the one that just came out, I think, last summer. Yeah, I, I, didn't, um, I haven't seen that. Um, was, was just like that. And it was so... Not that the movies were bad, but if you were a fan of even the just movies one were of the bad books, because the books are amazing. <laughs> okay, then you would like the series because they did a much better job staying true to the tone of the Jack Reacher books with the series rather than the Tom Cruise movies. Oh wow! Okay, that's really cool. I think there was only ten episodes, and I believe it was renewed for a season two. So you should be able to binge that at some point. Yeah, I'll, I'll probably be able to find some time to do that. Probably, probably. Who knows? <laughs> and then we, we get a shot of a homely girl that's uh, getting off the bus, you know, mm-hmm. dreaming of becoming an actress. <laughs> mm-hmm. There is something really weird about the direction here, though, for when she gets off the bus. And I don't know if if you want to go forward a little bit more, but I want to tell you that when we get to her line that she asks – it is very strange to me. Yeah. I, I definitely agree. She, well, she when she gets off the bus, it actually looks as if she has like the the the, the look of Dorothy Gale, you know, say when she says uh, Toto, we're no longer in Kansas. Mm-hmm. You know that. But it, she's not she's not a, she's not concerned or, or or confused. She has this look of like, oh, my God, this place is amazing. Right. <laughs> That, that's the way it okay, looks. Okay, I'll ask this question. I'll ask it now because there's a guy that right behind her while she's kind of doing that little look from her right to her left, and she's still kind of looking up. There's a guy that comes from behind her with a brown suitcase, brown shirt, brown pants, balding. Mm-hmm. He goes past her, and he's obviously booking his way somewhere else. He's getting to his destination. There's another guy coming down behind her. Is she talking to him or is there somebody else we're supposed to she's get? Not that talking he's talking to anybody. She's talking to herself. No, she doesn't. She doesn't act like she's talking to herself. She stops, makes eye contact with somebody and then 
kind of juts her head forward to say, hey, where do I go to be an actress? <laughs> I don't know who she's talking to. I, I, I don't know. It doesn't look as if she's talking to anybody. She doesn't say it to herself. She makes a point of because she goes back to looking up at the skyline, which, by the way, based on the camera angle, <laughs> if we remember the crane shot. Yes. She's looking at the bus station. Right. <laughs> she's not even looking at anything interesting. She's looking at the Greyhound bus logo <laughs> with the Greyhound at the top bus coming down. And it's a it's it's a building. But I, I think what she's doing is she's looking at the you know, she's she's now in Hollywood. She's looking into Hollywood and she's saying to Hollywood, OK, <laughs> where do I go to be an actress? You know, this this is what she's looking for now. I, that's the way I interpreted it. We're both obviously it's a trope. It is a well-worn talk about songs as well as movies. Uh, there's even musicals where they go to discover themselves in Hollywood and only turn find them that they can only get like, you know, peep show jobs or these like they're, they end up, you know, can't get the job that this it's not they, what they thought it was. They end up getting their dreams crushed. This is your typical ingenue middle America. She looks like she comes from the heartland the way she's dressed. Mm -hmm. But. It's her acting choice or directing, whichever whichever it was, is just so strange to me because it's like she's addressing a person because she's looking up at the sky, looking around, then goes, oh, where do I go to be an actress? Yes. Doesn't get an answer. goes back up to looking at the sky. It's it's just very strange. I mean, she's perky. She's innocent. She's bright. It's perfect for the trope. But it just confuses the crap out of me because I have no idea who she's talking to. Right. Okay. I I, I hear what you're saying there. I, I personally don't care who she's talking to because I think that she's talking to us. I think that's more or less what it is because we're supposed to uh, believe that she's this like homely girl that that uh, is there to become a success, you know, uh, as as an actress. She's she's taking the bus, you know, to to L.A. and that's what she wants to do. And then I love the fact that the scene cuts and the next thing we see is her sitting in the middle of a deserted road, sitting on her suitcase, <laughs> trying to figure out where the hell she needs to go. And you know what? I was reading some behind the scenes and I think she was getting ready for a sh to, to do a scene here. Like they like she was just kind of waiting for the cameras and stuff to be set. And Frank Oz loved the way she just looked with the background so desolate whatever that he shot this and he initially said he wanted this to be our first uh like the first view of daisy but i guess they decided no we need to kind of show her initially with the the wide-eyed excitement and now it's sort of being tempered we don't know if this is a few minutes later or a few hours later it's still day but he loved this shot and he said when we were setting up I wanted to capture because it says so much about the dreams of coming to Hollywood. Right. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and it is a well-composed shot because you've got this, the hint of the Hollywood sign on the hill behind her. You've got the palm trees. It's, you know, it's a little hazy, but you can tell it's a sun-filled day. You even got kind of to the one side of the screen, a larger uh, structure. I can't tell what the building is. It, There's a it, w I, think it says, I think it's supposed to say Hollywood Tower. I think that's what it's it supposed to be. Yeah, Hollywood Tower probably is what it is. So the composition of the shot is just fantastic because, like you mentioned, she's there, her knees kind of together, feet apart, 
she's just using her suitcases as, as a place to sit. And she looks like she doesn't have a friend in the world and there's nobody around. Nobody, nothing. Exactly. Like just the wind. <laughs> yeah. And I love that. Just the wind. I love that we have the, the, the Hollywood sign in the background there. You know, like uh-huh. it's, instead of, instead of having to put like a place card, you know, at the bottom of the, the screen of subtitles right. saying that we're in Hollywood, this is, this is just telling us in the background that, all right, she, we're, we're in Hollywood. That, that's where we're supposed yep. to It's great. And, and, the shift on a dime of the wide-eyed exuberance, just the grinning at the sky. She's so excited. She made it to go straight to this with not a soul in sight, just the wind. And she looks like so alone. You you feel bad. You're just like, oh, it's all, it's all crashing down on you right now, isn't it? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and then the shot changes again after that, those few seconds, and we see her walking down the street. You know, and she ends up coming across uh, uh, Bowfinger's dilapidated home from outside. So I actually found out where they filmed that, you know, the 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 house that Bowfinger lives in. And that's at mm-hmm. 1621 Vista Del Mar Avenue in Hollywood. Okay. And as I mentioned at the beginning of this minute, the bus stop was at 11239 Magnolia Boulevard, which was in North Hollywood. So I decided to, to figure out how far did she have to go in order to get here? Because she looks as if she's just walking around. Mm-hmm. You know, she 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 finds this she finds Bullfinger's house by accident. It wasn't something that she you know purposely was looking for. Okay, right. and so that is a six and a half mile walk. <laughs> wow. Now, see, I would tell you, I don't know how far she walked in terms of the film, but you get the sense that the background isn't quite as Hollywood-esque. It looks you've got all the weeds growing up out of the sidewalk. You've got buildings that don't look necessarily as uh, – they're not in disrepair, but they, they look kind of like low rent or maybe medium rent. You see an old car sticking out of one of the driveways, yeah. a guy riding his bike. You don't sense that you're moving into the the, the Malibu part of L.A. This is, this is this is not moving to the the high rent district. No, no, definitely not at all. Now, did you notice that it looks like there's a a bulletin board or something like that in front of one of the buildings here, and mm-hmm. it has like with, he- with some headshots on yeah, it. Yeah, it has headshots on it. <laughs> so I thought that was that was a nice touch. Makes me wonder if that's. Like, was she passing a, a theater? Uh, was that like a little community theater? Or I'm, 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 obviously it looks residential, too, because of the car in the parking lot. But with Bowfinger setting up his international studio just, you know, across the street, <laughs> is it or is it an um, oh, is it a person who because they know there's the international studio across the street, they are the acting coach. And so they're you can go get acting lessons across the street. Mm. Quite possibly, maybe you're, you're saying that these these are uh, testimonials from people that Bowfinger has has trained over the years, or somebody who just set up a, their shingle across the street, so that way they would you know entice actors by uh, you know yeah, it's, it's a location, location, location. You got International Studios right there. If anybody doesn't know any better, you come on over here and get some acting lessons. You know, okay, makes sense. There there, there is something to and, that. Could very well be that those are the success stories, which may or may not have actually been really coming through their school. <laughs> That's right. In fact, 
this is a perfect segue to say, and, and, and my background in this, what I and, I, and I mentioned earlier in the week how of all the Steve Martin roles, this is one of those ones where you, you love the performance, but because he's always such a likable guy or generally a person you kind of root for, this one he's kind of an icky, less than ethical kind of it's harder to like him because he's preying on the dreams of the innocent. He's preying on, and I've seen that myself. I've seen that multiple times where people, because here in Atlanta, we're one of the big film places in the United States. Yeah. I mean, Georgia is a film-ready state, all the Marvel movies, so many different things. And I have had so many people, so many stories of, well, they tell me I'm just there. I, I, I'm almost there. I just... I just need a few more acting lessons and they just happen to know somebody and, Oh, I just need to update my, my headshots and I need to go to this photographer that they just happen to know. And you find out they're all kind of in on it and they're just <laughs> soaking people for as much money as they can for as long as you're willing to keep paying for them. And at some point people wake up and go, I'm, I haven't gotten an audition worthwhile. I don't ever get cast in anything. And you keep telling me, well, all I'm missing is a headshot. All I'm missing is a class. This industry is so rife with the kinds of people who will prey on the dreams of others. And it's and it's sad. And you have to have a, a, you already have to have skin that's thick as anything else to deal with the audition process and the rejection process. But you've got to be really careful because there are con men and shysters everywhere. OK, well, we'll get to con men in a second, because outside of, of Bowfinger International Pictures, there is a clapboard that has. You know, you, this is also dilapidated, just like the house, you know, and it says, you know, Bowfinger International Pictures auditions mm -hmm. today for a mo major motion picture, Chubby Rain, $25. <laughs> well, I think it says bring, bring. $25 bring $25. and a scene of your choice. That's right. And a scene of your choice. So a scene of your choice, I can understand. No, I don't understand that. Why bring <laughs> I don't scene understand of your choice? That at all. Why not? No, because. When you go to an audition, especially if it's a, quote, major motion picture, if you didn't ahead of time, they'll give you something called acting sides. These are little pages of scenes where they may have a chance to have you either give a monologue or you've got more of the lines than the other person. So that way, when you're coming in, these are your sides and you may have. Uh, depending on your look, you may be right for two or three different characters, so they send you the acting sides of those particular moments, and so that's what got sent to everybody. So you have moments of the actual script because somebody along the way is trying to cast based on the script that you're filming, not because you memorized your favorite scene from another movie or your favorite monologue from a play. They want to see how you'll look and sound in the actual movie they're trying to cast. That I understand because I've obviously I've seen movies where people are doing casting and that's what they do. But from what I know from like high school productions and things like that, you know, uh, talent shows, things, you know, like you see that in movies and TV shows where they just have anyone. You can sing whatever you want. You can, you know, do whatever scene you want. And I think that's part of the joke here. The idea is, is that on the one hand, he says it's a major motion picture, but on the other hand, you know, bring your own scene to show us how good you really are. You know, that type of thing. But in a few seconds, we'll find True. out that they apparently do have some sort of scene that they want them to, to work on. You know, right. It, it does call to mind smaller theater, school productions, more like stage plays right. versus film. Exactly. It definitely has more of that. 
uh, yeah, bring whatever you've prepared ahead of time. Let's see what you're capable of by yourself. Correct. That, that's more or less what it is. So, I mean, I saw that they're saying, okay, bring $25. And I said to myself, wait a second. Everyone who's going on casting calls is paying money for it. And I did a search. You're not supposed I to be. Did a search. It's not that you're not supposed to. You're not allowed to. So I found an article that was talking about, uh, you know, ways to avoid audition scams in the film industry. So there are common questions that people ask and they have answers to them. So the first one is, I found a casting call online, but it costs $50 to audition. Is this the average cost for an online casting call? And the answer is the only price it should cost for an audition is $0, zero. Auditions will never under any circumstances cost you any money ever. Casting directors are paid a set, a set fee from the production to cast their projects. It is the casting director to figure out how to go about casting within the specific budget. An open call, an opportunity you do not need an agent to do should never cost you any amount of money. If it costs you anything at all, it is a scam and stay far away. Both yes. the Casting Society in America and the Casting Directors Society of Canada have a rigorous and explicit rule that casting directors cannot charge for their auditions. Nope, absolutely true. Yeah. Also, if you were to get an agent, a lot of times people feel like I got to go audition for an agent because they're plugged in. They're going to get me the job. There should be no fee, period. That agent, just like any other agent, makes their money by picking people they feel like they can market to a bit to a commercial or to whoever else, and they get paid a percentage of what they can get you the job for. Correct. So a worthwhile agent, it may look at you and go, "You've got the, the look. You've got the, you've got something. I could probably get you jobs for eight or ten or a hundred thousand dollars." They're incentivized because they don't get paid unless you get cash. That's correct. That's how it's supposed to work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I just want to read through some of these other questions and you can, you can tell me which ones you want to hear the answers for, because some of them are pretty funny. It's how do I know if it's a real casting call, even if they don't claim to charge money? <laughs> OK. OK. The next question is the audition is, is, is at a hotel. That's weird. <laughs> OK, it depends. Is it in a hotel room or in a hotel conference room because you're having a cat? That is correct. That's what it says here. It depends. The answer is that all depends on whether it's in the hotel and what hotel. For sig significant casting calls, it is not uncommon for casting directors to rent out meeting rooms or banquet halls. Call the hotel and make sure that the production has officially rented the, the space. It can be the casting company's name, the production company's name, or the project's name. If they do not have it listed, stay away. Stay far away. If you yes, go to the hotel advice. and those signs are pointing you in the right direction as to where to go, do not go, especially if the audition is in a suite number. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the next question. I found a casting call for a commercial, but they cannot say the product name. Should I, should I be worried? No, because a lot of times when they're trying to figure out um, whether or not they're going to get somebody that they don't want to pay a lot of money for, they know that if they've got a, a big name brand – that you're going to think that you're going to be you're going to require to be paid a lot more and they may be trying to figure out how to get people without necessarily revealing who the client right. is. Okay, and then the, the final one that, that that obviously we both know the answer to this one is a producer director wants to meet me after hours for a potential project. Does this happen? <laughs> run, run, don't look back. It says it does. But usually when the producer or director has had an existing relationship with the actor if they've worked together before, it is not uncommon to talk about a future project in more detail in this different social setting. If you have never met this person before, this is hugely shady and just bad business. Right. If a producer wants to yeah, meet that, you one-on-one, -on -one, the meet them at their office or for coffee during work hours. 
Yeah, I can see a lot of times, and we know that there are directors who get comfortable with the same actor. Uh, they'll use them multiple times. A lot of times they will just make a pitch to them over breakfast or at a bar or wherever they're meeting because they don't need them to audition. They already know, I like you. I'm just going to pitch the idea. What do you think? But you're right. Unless you have an existing relationship, yeah, you don't have these little, hey, I really thought you had something special. You want to talk a little bit more? I've got this uh, little bungalow around the around the bend. We can grab a cup of coffee, go over to my place. Yeah, no, the, that's not good. Yeah, that, so then we, we see the, the look on Daisy's face. Daisy is really happy. She has this bright smile on her face again, you know, seeing the wholesome nature of, of Daisy, you know, that she's finally found what she's looking for. And then they give us a close-up of the actual uh, clapboard. You know, mentioning the, where we can actually see, it says bring $25 in the scene of your choice. And then the shot changes and we're actually back inside. And we see, mm-hmm. we see Slater kissing a woman. And mm-hmm. so before we get into to who this woman is and, and, you know, potentially why they're kissing. So did you notice that there's a poster behind them on the wall that says yeah. the Yugo story? <laughs> The practical yeah. and affordable car for the eighties. <laughs> okay, and it's actually it says it's directed by Robert K. Bowfinger. So this is a movie that he did, <laughs> apparently. And uh, or from what I understand a commercial is commercial made to look like a movie. <laughs> right. Okay, it could be. I, I heard that the, the joke here is this is making fun of Steve Martin's movie L.A. Story. Oh, really? Yeah. Have you, have you ever seen that? I have, but I don't I don't get the tie-in with the Yugo, but it's been a while. I probably haven't seen that. Because you have different wow. animated, uh, inanimate ob- objects, mostly a a road sign that are talking to uh, Steve Martin's character, you know, or at least he thinks ah. that they're talking to them and that type of thing. Yeah, yeah, so, I remember that. That's like the in-joke here, that apparently this is somehow connected, you know, that there's this car that's maybe talking to him or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> So we, we see Slater making out with this girl. If you look on in the credits, you can see that her name is Marisol Nichols. Have, have you ever heard of her? Not off the top of my head, no. Okay, so she has 57 credits in IMDb. She played Audrey Griswold in Vegas Vacation. She was on an entire season of 24. She played Nadia Yassir. Oh, yeah. No, I know Nadia. Wait a minute. I, I need to see her. I guess we'll see her face better tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. And she was. She's been in several episodes of 24. She started off in season one and they brought her back for a later storyline. Correct. But she was in 24 different episodes of of 24. And she also was in the the 2021 movie Spiral. You ever heard of that one? Nope. Never saw that. Spiral is actually a. uh, It's with Chris Rock and Samuel L. Jackson. And it's part of a series. You don't know what series? It's part of the Saw series. Oh, Saw. Okay. This is like... Oh, that's right. It was kind of a, another take on it. Yes. Yeah, I remember No, that. it's like a continuation, but it, you know, with, with different characters and stuff like that. You know, it's with the, these detectives that are trying to, to 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 figure it out once again. You know, the whole thing with Saw. So... Yeah, I, I'll be honest. I'm not into that kind of horror that the Saw franchise really gets into, the torture porn kind of thing. So I've just kind of blanked out on all those after the first one. I was like, okay, I really don't have any desire to keep watching these. Well, I got to tell you, I, I don't like horror movies, and I didn't like the the idea of Saw, and I stayed so far away from it. And last summer, when I was uh, getting around to my 9,000th review on my website, so someone suggested that why don't I try the nine movies of Saw? And I actually watched all of them one after the other. And I, I gotta say, I was I was pretty impressed. 
I I like them more than I thought I would. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Well, coming from you, that may reassess whether or not I go forward with other ones. I just it, it but it doesn't strike a chord for me, even if it's well acted. If it's if it's if you know, because I used to love no, I like I like still I like the connection them. between the, how they connected all the different storylines in the movies. That's what okay. it comes down to. Gotcha. Yeah. So we basically get to see Slater and uh, you know Nadia, <laughs> you know smooching for the rest of this mm-hmm. uh, minute, and then we get the shot of both Bowfinger and Akeem that are both sitting there, or Ephraim, Ephraim. They're they're both sitting there, and you know trying to look very professional, just looking at the, these two people making out. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much the way that this minute ends. Which makes you wonder, were there any lines delivered prior to this? Or is this the only thing they're <laughs> they're judging her, her quality on? Well, Ephraim's has a binder that's open. So it makes it look as if he had been feeding lines or something like that. Or reading the script just to kind of see how close. Because a lot of times, if you do get sides, you're kind of expected to memorize them. So that way, when you go in front of the casting director... It's almost like you're on the set and you're acting. You don't have to refer to your piece of paper. You should have it memorized, but someone will be on script. So if you kind of lose your place, they can kind of feed it to you so you can keep going. Right. Right. But it's still, I, I I don't know that there's a a right or wrong answer because obviously we'll, we'll, we'll talk tomorrow as we wind down this week about, you know, how do you pick the person for your movie? But we don't get any lines. We don't even get, like, before the kiss, like, I'll always love you, and then kiss. There's just straight kiss. Is that is that your audition? Right. <laughs> Which, by the way, folks, audition tip number three, whatever of your frequently asked. If I'm just there to do something physical only, like get naked and kiss, is, is that normal? No, that's not no. normal. Normally, they want to see your acting ability, yes. your ability to walk, move, talk, your facial expressions. So that's yeah, right. Which be which, careful. Which connects to what I was talking about, you know, what I'm what I've been doing on my my show this week, you know, with with when Harry met Sally, you know, where where you have the whole scene in Delhi, which is this week. Mm-hmm. So if someone wants you to use that scene, you know, as your audition, then be be concerned. <laughs> right. <laughs> it could it could be a little a little a little red flag for yes. you. It's a very big red flag. <laughs> All right, Alan, do you have anything else you want to say about this minute? No, uh, I think uh, once again, as we have been going along this week, and I know this movie is all about it, I've loved all of the little drops of, of once again, the satire of kind of poking fun at all of the tropes, everything within Hollywood. It's kind of mocking, satirizing, but at the same time, it's not doing it in a terrifying way, but it's still, it's funny to me, having been in the industry to see all of the the inspirational references that drove Steve Martin to write the script. Yeah. One of the things I love about this minute is is that we have two lines of dialogue. You have the the, the first few seconds and the final seconds. You know, when, when I was doing the research for this, I said, when I first watched it before I started the research, I was like, what do we have to talk about? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and here we are. And here we are, 45 <laughs> minutes later, still trying to figure out what we have to talk about here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I, I once again I I the scenes are set up that you know our format we go a minute of the screen time at a time, but it's it's like oh we're in the middle of a scene and I hate stopping so we're gonna have to come back and finish this up tomorrow. Yeah, I think so. I think so. 
But for all those listening out there, you can find the Bowfinger Minute podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play, or at the main site, bowfingerminute.com. And if you have time, you can go and like, subscribe, and review the show on Apple Podcasts or any other podcatcher that actually lets you do reviews. On social media, you can find the Bowfinger Minute Listener Center called Welcome to Mindhead on Facebook. And on Twitter, it's called Bowfinger Minute. So, Alan, you want to tell people where, where they can find you? Yeah, if you're interested in another uh, breakdown analysis of movies, uh, we, me, my buddy Walt Murray and I, as we've said all week long, if you've been listening, if you're brand new, just popped in on this episode. We did one called The Wilder Ride, where the first two seasons were about Gene Wilder movies. We did Young Frankenstein season one. We did Blazing Saddle season two. Then uh, the world caught a cold, and so we turned it into more of a talk show, which I think all the guests we had for seasons three and four were pretty evergreen. You could go back and enjoy any one of those interviews at any point in time. I also started a podcast with my wife called The Marriage Fit Minute, which is a lot of fun about marriage and uh, blended families and the lessons we've learned as parents and uh, parents of adult children now. And then if you're into the world of news and talk, and not everybody is, I also do a daily digital news talk show called The Alan Sanders Show. And all of those go by the exact names. You can find The Wilder Ride by looking for that. Marriage Fit Podcast by searching for that or Google The Alan Sanders Show. All right. And as for me, you can, uh, first of all, find my movie reviews. I'm, I'm honing in on 10,000 reviews on my site. I should get there in about uh, a month or two. But you can find my site on uh, moviewrob.wordpress.com. And if you want to listen to any of my Movies by Minute films that I've, that I've talked about, I'm right now in the middle of my fourth season. I did The Great Escape. I did Plain Shades Automobiles, Die Hard, and right now we're we're about the halfway point of When Harry Met Sally. So you can find that on MovieRobMinute.com. You can also find me on Twitter and Facebook. So please come back and join Alan and I tomorrow for our final stint on the Bowfinger Minute. But in the meantime, keep it together. Keep it together. Keep it together. Keep it together, children. There's always one more show. Cause there's always one more show.